Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 390 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. We are here with another road victory for the Blue Devils to talk about. In addition to that, we're going to look ahead to a really, really important matchup this week with Wake Forest. Also talk a little bit about the sort of the state of the ACC and it is the end of the week, so we will have our Player of the Week picks. Not an easy choice for Player of the Week this week. But um, uh, before we do any of that, I need to bring in my compadres in Washington, D.C. Donald Wine, how are you doing today, Donald? I'm doing great, Jason. It is uh, That's Jason Evans, by the way. He didn't introduce himself. I did. I uh, said I'm Jason. I think I did. Okay. Okay. Just want to make sure that people knew who you were. <laughs> um, but it is Super Bowl Sunday uh, here in America, and I'm very excited about the menu that I have prepared or, or, or I'm about to prepare after I oh, finish please, recording. Oh, please, please share. Yeah. yeah, so I'm going to be doing meatball sliders um, with pork and turkey meatballs. Uh, also going to take some of those meatballs and turn them into peri-peri meatballs, peri-peri sauce from Nando's down the street. Um, that is an experiment of mine, so we're going to try that out. And then we are going to do chicken and waffle sliders. So a slider menu for me. Oh, chicken and waffles is the best. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Donald, I like your I like your spread today. It's really good. Thank you. You're making, well, you're we'll see how hungry. good it is. You're making me hungry, man. Yeah, that other voice you just heard is Sam Klein, and Sam is in Boston, which is where the Blue Devils were yesterday. Sam, you enjoyed that game? Uh, the game was extremely fun. I was one of many Duke fans in attendance at Conte Forum last night. Not a ton of Boston College fans there. I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this shortly. I don't know what it sounded like on television. But uh, the stadium was predominantly Duke fans yesterday, and the game was predominantly Duke production. So that's good, too. <laughs> Sam, uh, there was a lot of people who were texting me or messaging me yesterday saying that they were going to the game and they said that they were going to try it and find you. Did you run into any friends of the podcast while you were at the Conti Forum? I didn't. I saw, I saw one friend from business school who also was a Duke undergrad, and so I said hi to him. But otherwise, no, I, I, I ran into nobody. It's tough. When you're wearing a mask, like even people who know what True. I look like, I was wearing I was wearing a hat and a mask. So unless you really know my eyes and if they're particularly captivating to you, you're really not going to know that it's me walking by. Sam, are you not a smizer? You have not learned how to smize in, in the I, last two I years? Have, uh, I have I have I have pretty small eyes. So uh, I think I have a hard time emoting with my eyes. They're just they, they just don't take up very much of my face. So once I have the mask on. Uh, you know, I, I really, I can't, I, my, my, the rest of my face, I think is very expressive word. What are we talking about? There, there are a <laughs> lot, there are a lot of topics that, that we sometimes wander into that I thought we, you know, sometimes we discuss, I never thought how emotive Sam's eyes are, would be one of, one of the topics. I do have, have. I, I, so I have, I have small eyes, but I have big and expressive eyebrows. So that actually might, might help with the, with the smizing, um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how that affects my, you know, people's ability to recognize me in public. But uh, no, I, so I didn't talk to anyone yesterday. Uh, my girlfriend and I went to the game. We had an excellent time. Uh, we nailed the, the parking situation at at Chestnut Hill, which was uh, somewhat not complicated, but it's very crowded there, uh, even for a game that is not well attended. So. All right. So let's, that. let's let's get to the game. Enough of the preamble of, of Sam's gorgeous eyebrows uh <laughs> and we start yeah the blue the blue devils win this game 72 to 61 not really indicative of what the game was like that final score 11 points was about as close as it was in the second half duke had around a 20 point lead for pretty much the entire second half of this contest 
By the way, before we get to the headlines, there are a couple of really cool stats I saw that I wanted to mention. Um, Duke men basketball tweeted that Coach K has now accounted for more than half of the wins in Duke's history. He has a hundred, I'm sorry, 1,118 wins at Duke, 1,118 wins at Duke, and Duke has a total of 2,235 wins as a school. So Coach K responsible for more than half the victories of Duke basketball history and Duke basketball history goes back a long time before coach K <laughs> you shared that with us. I, I think I saw it from you before I saw it from the program. And my first reaction was that's not that impressive because like coach K is a big part of the whole success of Duke basketball. But then when you consider the number of years, it's crazy. Well, and, and Duke basketball was very, very successful before coach K arrived on the scene. This is not a situation where, Duke was one of the top five, 10. Well, there are, around. there are probably like, there are what, 15 ish years of really good Duke basketball pre coach K plus 50 years of, of media, you know, mediocre to good basketball. So it's like coach K is like 35 amazing years plus five. Okay. Years uh, follow You know, I, that's what I was trying to, to do in my head, but it, there was a, as you said, there was enough success. Duke had been to, what five or six final fours before yeah. coach K. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like and a couple title games. Of a program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vic, Vic Bubis was a great coach, uh, you know, a legendary coach well before coach K ever arrived on the scene, but uh, enough history. Uh, the point was to, to, to point out that coach K has now won more than half the games in Duke's history. And, uh, and, and one other thing, and maybe I should save this for later, but I'll say it now and then we'll, we'll reference it maybe again later when we're talking a little bit more about the ACC, um, my, my friend Tom Bashir emailed and said, he pointed out that Coach K needs nine more wins, nine more wins to reach 1,200 in his career now. And, uh, you know, this could be kind of close. I mean, I hope that he busts through that. Um, but Duke has six regular season games left. Um, and, and nine seems pretty likely, but, you know, we need to take care of business. I would love for us to get Coach K past the 1,200 mark because that's, that's truly stunning. <laughs> no one had won a thousand before he came along and he's now pushing 1200 in his final season, but sorry, we have gone far astray. I was trying to get us to talk about the 72 to 61 victory. Um, Sam, I will start with you because you were in the house. You were in the arena. Give me your headline from Duke's win over Boston college. Trevor Keels is back, baby. That's, an, That's my headline from yesterday. I am I am very excited about how much Trevor Keels has progressed since he came back from his injury, and I want to reflect that. I love it. Donald, what is your headline? Uh, I borrowed a reference from Space Jam, because for some reason that was on the brain after this game last night, and it is Duke Seals, Boston College attempt to fly. Ah, okay. I believe I can fly. I like okay. it. I like it. Or fly like an eagle by Seal. Uh, I like that too. My headline, uh, Road Warriors win again because Duke just keeps on winning on the road. Uh, it is really impressive, the, the road win streak that they're on at the moment. And I wanted to remark, we got a nice headline from one of our listeners, Jared Strauss, who we've mentioned before. Jared continuing to come through with some good headlines. He had Boston Tea Party, tired Duke, triumphs over tenacious Eagles. Jared, that is some quality headline work there, my friend. Thank he you even very much. bothered what I liked about it and which doesn't come through when you read it out loud is that he even bothered to say it was Boston T just the letter, not the, the whole word T. 
which is in reference to the Boston mass transit system. So mm-hmm. um, uh, an extra, an extra, st- I didn't take the T to get to the game last night, but an extra step for Jared. I, I appreciated that. Insider he pro tip from Sam there. He put the T in alliteration. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about the game now. The good. We start with the good stuff. And again, Sam was in the house, so he gets uh, he gets the home court advantage of beginning. Sam, what's your first thing you want to mention as we talk about the good? Well, I said Trevor Keels was was great yesterday. I'm I'm between. I'll give you the I'll give you the the preview ahead of time. I'm going to take him as my player of the week because he has looked. He's looked so much stronger, both on offense and on defense. I thought yesterday, you know, I, I'm not sure if him coming off the bench is the is the optimal strategy for Duke at this point. Maybe he's going to rotate back into the starting lineup, but wherever he is, he is a force for the Blue Devils, and he was the perfect um, he was the perfect matchup yesterday for a BC team that we said in the preview was going to be overmatched physically. I thought the Keels was was maybe the most uh, emblematic of that overmatching. There were. There basically at every position on the court, Duke has a bigger guy than BC does. But I appreciated the way Trevor Keels was able to use his body and um, and and sort of create offense for himself, driving, shooting. He made he made one or two uh, three pointers yesterday. Uh, it, the the shooting for Duke was was good, not amazing, and and Keels was a part of that. So that's where I wanted to start, and and maybe we'll do some of the players before we get to the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, that sounds good, and and I agree. Trevor Keels was outstanding on the day. He had a a, a plus twenty in his plus minus, um, at, which is a, a a really big number. You know, look anytime relative to the relative to the eleven point victory. Exactly, exactly right. Your team wins by eleven. He he put up a plus twenty. Was the best of anybody on the team. The guy that I thought had the really great game. Not that Trevor Keels wasn't outstanding, uh, and and this is a guy who's been uh, look. I I bagged on him last game. He was in my bad last game. And he's been struggling a lot lately. I, I thought Paula Bancaro had such a better game in terms of shot selection. You know, I didn't, I didn't send it to you guys, but there were a bunch of folks, uh, a bunch of friends of mine on email who had said, you know, hey, let's talk about what are the keys to the game. You have about a 20-person email group um, that talks about Duke basketball. And, and people were like, yeah, what's the key to the game? And I said, I said, I have five keys to this game. Shot selection, shot selection, shot selection, shot selection. And last but not least, shot selection. And, and I thought Paulo Bancaro showed for the first time in a while smart shot selection. He embraced taking it to the hole in a way he hasn't lately. And he had a couple really nice assists, by the way, as well. But Paulo ends with 14 rebounds, 16 points, three assists, just one turnover. And he seemed to be in control all game long. For the first time in a while, it felt like he wasn't forcing things. Like from the very start, he was getting the ball on the outside and driving it to the inside. And that is what we need from Paulo Bancaro. I got more on this, but you guys are raising your hands. I think he was most of the way there, Jason. I, I agree that he was much better yesterday than he had been in the last few games. I think there is still like one and a half or two more gears to Paulo's game that he hasn't shown yet. And I wonder if yesterday part of the spark was the fact that Jason Tatum showed up because we have talked about how, you know, Paulo's upside is to be a player like Jason Tatum a guy who should be able to be a threat from the outside, but also is able to work it inside as well, uh, is really athletic, is really dynamic, is able to, to pass to the right spots on the floor. I think that, that that's exactly the kind of player that Paulo should be emulating his game after. And Jason Tatum walked into the arena yesterday about five or six minutes into the contest. And uh, I, I wonder if that didn't perk Paulo up a bit. 
I mean, that probably perked the whole team up a bit. But when it comes to Paulo, I, it's funny. This week, especially, I've been chatting a lot about Paulo with a lot of my friends. And a lot of people have been like, yo, you know, is the hype firm real? All this stuff about him being the best player in college basketball, one of them, one of the top players in the NBA draft. They're not see, they didn't see it this week. And for me, I feel like when it comes to the player that's supposed to be the star of the team, we as Duke fans over scrutinize those players because we want them to be great. Right. It's it's not where we're, we're ragging on them because we don't like them. It's because we want them to be the best player that they can be. And I think this week, when it comes to things like shot selection for Paulo Bancaro, we were over scrutinizing because when you think about it and you look back over the week, I know we'll talk about we may talk about him a little bit more in player of the week. When you look back over the week, he still had a really great week when it comes to the stats that he put up. It's just for us. We want him to, as Sam said, get to that final level. Like get get that final gear in place so that when he steps on the court, the other team is like, oh crap, Paulo Bancaro is on top of this game. We are going to have a seriously long night because we cannot stop him. That's the level that we know he's capable of, and we just want to get him there. Yeah, Donald, you're exactly right. We're holding him to a high standard because he came in with all that hype. Like, like Duke has obviously had mm-hmm. a lot of guys in recent years come in with a ton of hype. Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Marvin Bagley, Jason Tatum. Uh, and, and I think Paulo Bancaro has come in with as much, if not more hype than any of them, not necessarily because like the talent is so much greater, but that we've heard about the work ethic and the commitment and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm holding Paulo to a very high standard here. And, and I think that he is starting to get to that place where he, where he reaches his potential as a college player. And then obviously, you know, it's a longer journey when he gets to the NBA this summer. Uh, So I want to be clear, Sam. Um, even though I was praising Paulo, I agree with you that he has levels he can reach that are even higher than this. That's what a special talent he is. I'm just pleased he's he played against BC at least, you know, close to the way we expect him to play. Absolutely. Because he had, yeah, he'd gone through, I don't know, a week, maybe even two weeks where his play was not where we wanted to be. But, you know, I want to I want to be clear about something. Dude's having an incredible season. And, and you guys are right. We, we hold the team's star to a higher level. We could probably pick Paulo Bancaro as the player of the week every single week, and you could justify it very, very easily. I, I want to give you all the stats really quick. He's averaging 17 points per game, 8.7 rebounds per game, leads the team in both those categories. He is third on the team in assists. Um, he is second on the team uh, in, in block shots. Uh, th- this is a guy who's who's doing it all, you know, in all kinds of different ways. And Jason, he's having you mentioned a great year and, and we're not we're not fair to him. He's leading or he's, he's the third leading uh, guy in assists on this team, despite how much I rag on him about about. And you were talking about one poor shot selection and two, not necessarily like knowing how to find his teammates. Like even despite that, he's still. He's still yeah. getting a good number of assists, right? Yeah. I think that he can do so much better. I think there are times yesterday, there were a handful of possessions where he insisted on taking the shot where he could have passed it out again. And I'm I'm being critical of that because I know he's capable of it. Yeah, so let me really quick finish up on, on this. I started on Paulo, but I kind of was segueing into shot selection. Uh, Duke, in this game against Boston College, took 13 mid-range shots. You guys know, I've been tracking this for a while. Bart Torvik on his website tracks mid-range shots and and Duke had been you know up around 20 or more than 20 mid-range shots a lot lately and I said that is too many 
Duke only takes 13 against BC. They hit six of them. Six of 13 is a really nice number for mid-range shots. That's because almost all the mid-range shots we took were like kind of wide open. They were shots where we, you know, it, it was a good shot, even though it was a mid-range shot. It's possible to have a good mid-range shot. There are not a lot of them, but there are some of them. And Paulo, I think, was a huge part of that. By the way, on the day, Duke was 19 of 35 on two-point field goals. That's that's a sign of a team that is getting the right kind of shots. We talked a lot about offense, but Donald, I know you wanted to talk about defense really quick. Go ahead and give me that as we're continuing on the good things. Yeah, I, I thought the defense was really, really good yesterday, particularly on the glass, uh, both with rebounds and with block shots. Theo John, I thought, came in and did extremely well when he was in the game. Uh, he had three blocks on the day, rebounding. Paulo Bancaro, we, again, we talk about him. 14 rebounds. That is a ton of rebounds uh, against a team that is not great at rebounding, but can can take you off the glass. Well, Again, well Don, Don, really had, quick, you know, we identified yeah. when we were talking about BC in the preview, I said the one thing BC does well is they're a good, they were a really good defensive rebounding team. For Duke to out-rebound mm -hmm. them by 10, for Duke to get 13 offensive rebounds. By the way, we got almost 40% of our misses we offensive rebounded. That's huge. Uh, yeah. You know, for and, Duke to do that against a team that and by the way, their big man, James Karnick, was having one of his best games of the year. Their big man's playing well and Duke still out rebounds them by 10. Duke still gets 40 percent of our offensive rebounds against a team that's a great defensive rebounding team. That's a great day in the glass. And it's a growing trend that I really like that we're doing better on the on the defensive glass and even on the offensive glass. Like you said, getting 40 percent of your misses that turns into more points, second chance points third chance points. It doesn't matter when they go in the basket, but giving those opportunities is important. But for defense, getting it one trip, making sure that they don't get a, a, any points in that possession and going the other way. Duke has been really, really good lately about making sure that the other team only gets one chance uh, for most on most possessions at shooting the basketball. And when that happens, we're going the other way and we're getting points. Those are huge momentum crushers, especially given the fact that, as you mentioned, We've been playing so well on the road lately. We just went through a gauntlet, I think, of six games, five of them on the road, and we won all five road games. Like, that is very, very special. And when you do the defensive glass work, that turns into points and momentum killers for those crowds. It felt like there were a few kind of tough calls on on in terms of Duke getting fouls yesterday, but I thought that even playing through that, Theo John was really instrumental in in protecting the glass at both ends of the court. I know it in the stat sheet, it only registers that he got uh, four rebounds, but he made a lot of space for guys and he had to play, I think a bit more uh, minutes yesterday because Mark Williams had, had some, had some trouble uh, staying on the court. So I appreciated that Theo John was able to step into that, not necessarily to grab the rebounds himself, but to make the space. Yeah. I, I love what our big men gave us yesterday. I, I want to talk about Mark Williams. First of all, he was, Eight of eleven on um on uh, I'm sorry Mark Mark Williams I, I tracked it is eight for his last eleven on shots taken outside of the paint um as over the course of like five games but he has become that that little foul line jumper he takes forget about it he he's knocking that down every time it's amazing he's our best mid range shooter yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's crazy like I said eight of his last eleven on shots taken outside of the paint um I mean I hate mid range shots but Mark's mid range I'm all okay with it. Yeah, At some ahead. point, the other teams are going to have to defend that, right? Because it's not like he's a very good driver. So you might as well close on him when he's when he's 15 feet from the basket now that you know that he can just make it. 
Well, I think a lot of those are plays where he's he's outside setting a screen. You know, he's he's trying to screen for Keels or Bancaro or more, and 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 the opposing team's big man doesn't come with him because they want to be back there. If if you let Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, or Paula Bancaro take the ball to the rim, you're going to lose. <laughs> so so they stay back there to to prevent the drive, and that and as a result, Mark is just able to stand there and and get the easy easy you know foul line jumper. Uh, by the way, I, w- I want to talk about Mark Williams' free throws. Have you guys noticed that lately? Mark is They've been going in. He's 22 for his last 25. I'm going to repeat that. Mark Williams is 22 for his last 25 free throws. Now, he, he started the season kind of sketchy. He was not hitting a lot. He's up to almost 75% on the season. And I, I've been just incredibly impressed. Mark Williams' game has, has elevated throughout this season. And Sam gave you, you know, the preview. He's going to pick Trevor Keels for player of the week. I'm going to take Mark Williams for player of the week. We'll get more to the reasons why later on, but I thought he had an outstanding game and I love the two man combination. We have with him and Theo. Um, uh, Theo had seven block shots this past week and several of them were the kind of rise up, get out of your chair and scream at the TV kind of block shots (laughs) where you're like, Whoa. Yeah. The double block, the double block that him and Paulo had when they both just said, you know what, who, who gets that block, right? Like (laughs) I think they might've both gotten one, but the, uh, that play, but yeah, the Duke fans in the arena got out of their seats for that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got a little more good coming up. Donald Wendell Moore, right? We love the three point range from Wendell. Yeah. I mean, he's been very efficient from three point four for five from three point land yesterday, being able for him to shoot from three brings a lot of pressure off of the inside and brings a lot of pressure off of guys that are trying to make baskets everywhere else. So I liked what I saw from him because all of those three pointers that he made just even on the next possession, they made people just creep out just a little bit more, created more passing it, passing lanes, and it created more room for our inside guys like Paul Ben Carroll and Mark Williams do work. Guys, it's only fair. We did the good. There, there was some bad in this game. I'll, I'll let Sam get us started on it because he was there for the contest. What, what, what did you see that you know Duke needs to work on? Uh, let's be honest. This game and the Clemson game felt very workmanlike. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, yes. but it wasn't like spectacular victories. Yeah, and, and what we said in the preview, I think, would have set you up for Duke needs to win this game by a lot, and it needs to not feel close. Uh, I, I don't think that, that BC was ever really threatening Duke much in this game. Duke basically got out to an 8-9, 10-point lead and, and mostly held it that way for the majority of the contest right at the end uh, Clemson or sorry, Jason mentioned Clemson Boston college uh, creeped back and, and it was only an 11 point victory where I think it could have been a 20 plus point victory. Um, So yes, there's an element of, I don't know that Duke needs to make this so hard on themselves when they're playing a team like Boston college, who's not even like close to, to getting an NCAA tournament bid. There's not like a run that BC can go on to all of a sudden become tournament eligible. And the the individual players in this game, I thought Jeremy Roach had another um, kind of tough game similar to the performance he had at Clemson. Um, I do wonder if there's a point now where I was saying before, Trevor Keels probably has to move back into the starting lineup. Uh, and then you have to just be concerned about sort of what the, the ball sharing is going to look like. But I don't know that Jeremy Roach is conducting the offense right now. And on defense, he's been pretty good. I think he's a, I think he's a good pest on defense and he, he makes other guys uncomfortable, particularly really far from the basket, which is extremely valuable. Um, but 
but he's not kind of bringing the same offensive firepower. He gets himself lost on the drive a lot. The, there were there were a couple shots he got blocked yesterday and and isn't really scanning the floor. I think one of the challenges for the whole team, this is not a Jeremy Roach problem, this is everyone, is that the team is not good at driving and looking around at what else is available. There are, there are Duke players yeah, waiting on the wing for you know, to take open threes, every guy is doing this. Paulo is doing this. Wendell Moore is doing this. Jeremy Roach is doing this. Trevor Keels does this a lot uh, where they get fixated on, I'm getting to the basket. Um, Paulo Bancaro does this all the time where he's like, he's just decided I've got my man one-on-one. I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to take this to the hole and there's no other option for me right now on offense. I really want to see a lot more ball movement. There were so many shots last night where Duke would make the shot and I would think to myself, I mean, great, but there were three guys open on the perimeter. Why aren't we making that extra pass? It's not like BC was forcing Duke to take 25 seconds off the shot clock before getting those. This was like 12 seconds into the possession. Duke is taking, you know, a, a, like Paul is making a, a, a series of moves to get a 12 footer. And I, I think that the shot selection can improve even more and the passing can improve more from there. Yeah, so I also had Jeremy Roach as sort of my lead item in the bad. He was just one for seven on the day. I hate to be calling him out again, but we're starting to see a little bit of a pattern here. Among the six or seven regulars, um, I really, I think it's seven regulars now. Theo's playing time has really picked up lately. Among the seven regulars, Jeremy Roach, again, had the worst plus minus on the team. He's just plus three. Again, in a game that Duke wins by 11, I mentioned Trevor Keels was plus 20. Paulo was plus 17. Um, uh, for Jeremy Roach to just be plus three and just one assist, two turnovers, it's clear that he is really in a funk. And Donald, I know you want to talk about the assists. Uh, it, it was a little bit troubling yesterday. Duke, Duke wasn't moving the ball as well as you'd like. Yeah, we only had eight assists on 26 made baskets. And, you know, as we've talked about in the past, you want that to be closer to two-thirds, 75%, uh, the, the assists to field goals made ratio. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it is what Sam alluded to and what Jason, you've talked about as well. Kind of the guys are just going to the basket. It's not necessarily hero ball, but they're finding, they're just trying to get their way to the basket, force a move, and then either settle for a jumper or try to Donald, take it to the rack over a couple of guys. Donald yeah. it is hero ball. It, it is exactly hero ball. Well, and no. So, so I push back on, on that because hero ball is a specific time frame and a specific reference to something that's happening. In my mind, hero ball is not necessarily one guy just because sometimes the, the play calls for that. Sometimes the, the heat of the moment calls for that. Hero ball, in my mind, is where late in the game or, or at stretches, you decide that no one else is on the floor and you become a black hole. I don't think we're at that point, but I do think the ball movement is something that is concerning because I think in previous games a couple of weeks ago, we were moving the ball quite a bit, but I do think when it comes to what we're doing right now is not necessarily where I'm saying, Hey, you know, one guy gets the ball and all of a sudden, you know, no one else sees the ball for 15 minutes. That is hero ball in my mind. Hero yeah. ball has a, a connotation that I think is not what applies to what we're doing right now. Yeah. Duke can't Duke can't have hero ball because we've got like four or five different guys who want to put their head down and go to the basket and, right. and, and not really share the ball as much as maybe they should. So there's no chance for hero ball because everybody's trying to be the hero. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating team still has room to grow. I, you know, it seems crazy that a team that has won five straight ACC road games and, and is 
blowing other teams out pretty regularly that we're like, oh, look at all these things they could they can improve on. Again, I, I think this is the over scrutinizing that we do, right? But this is also kind of the what makes it intriguing about how this team is still blowing out teams on the road, making very easy what appears to be very easy work of teams on the road, and they still haven't quite put it all together. That's what we gives us to, excitement that they could do that. We need to get the guys from the Slipper Still Fits back on the show to ask how they think about Gonzaga every year playing in a in a bad because the ACC is a bad conference this year, not as bad as like the WCC is normally. But how do you how do you think about like getting up for games that are mostly against non-tournament teams? That's what Duke is in right now. So it, in a game against BC, Duke should be. We were saying got to keep them at arm's length and uh, and and like turn it into a clinic, make it an excuse to, to try out, you know, crisper passes and, and, and moving the offense in a, in a more proficient way, because look, it, in some ways it's easier to do that against Boston college than it is to do that against Duke in practice. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Hey, the last thing I wanted to note really quickly before we're done with this game, I really feel like the annual shortening of coach K's rotation has has really hit us in full force here. It is pretty clear to me now that Duke has only seven players who are going to play in the second half of competitive games that we see Bates Jones and Joey Baker get a few minutes each in the first half, you know, usually around like the 10 minute mark to take us through like the under eight timeout. But um, for the most part in the second half, we're only seeing Bates and Baker. If there's like foul trouble or there's something unusual that forces them to play, it really feels like coach K has gone to, just a seven-man rotation. And look, actually, seven is there's some years he goes with a six-man rotation. So I think seven is is pretty appropriate. And and going back to something Sam said, I think it was Sam early on. I, I absolutely think Trevor Keels should be starting. The only reason I can think of to not have Trevor Keels starting ahead of Jeremy Roach right now is to maintain some balance, so to speak. Like if you brought in, if Keels started. And, and at around the 16-minute, 15-minute mark when Coach K starts to sub a little bit, if he brought in Theo John and Jeremy Roach and, like, Joey Baker at the same time, wow, you know, suddenly you'd look up and go, wait, Duke's, you know, Duke's going to kind of struggle to find offensive options here. So maybe there's a maybe there's a rationale for having Keels continue to come off the bench because it gives you a little more balance, offensive balance in your rotations. That's, that's the only that- reason I can think of. On, on that topic, you also think about keeping one guy back because then he's the freshest legs to to pop in and make a huge difference. And Trevor Keels, great point. I think, is Tre- because he's so big and, and so strong, he's actually, I think, more intimidating coming off the bench because all of a sudden you have you have a guy that that has those those fresh legs. Um, so I, there's a, there's a part of me that says that, yeah, like you were saying, Jason, it, it's actually kind of beneficial to be able to bring Keels off the bench. Hey, and Donald, you'll love this. I think I've mentioned this before. Trevor Keels is the microwave. Trevor, Trevor Keels is Vinnie Johnson. I mean, his, his, he looks kind of like he's got kind of a Vinnie Johnson kind of body as I take things mm-hmm. back to the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, he, he needs to shave his head, though. We got to get the full dome like, like, like Sam go. and I. You got to get the full, I don't think, full shine. I don't going. think Trevor Keels is shaving his head. I don't think so either. I have, I have bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, man. Talk about an important game. Uh, We're going to tell you why this contest coming up with Wake Forest is super, super important for the Blue Devils and super, super important for Wake Forest. That's coming up.
So we hope you enjoyed that little commercial break. We are back and we're going to talk about Duke's next contest against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. It is the second time Duke will be playing Wake Forest. Um, the game is Tuesday night, 7 p.m. on ESPN2. This time, last time it was in um, uh, was at Wake. This time they're coming to Cameron. Although, I don't know, Duke, Duke has been way better on the road than we've been at home lately. So <laughs> the first time around, Duke won by 12, 76 to 64. Um, if folks, if you don't remember, uh, Paula Bancaro and uh, AJ Griffin um, combined for 46 points in that game. It was really AJ's coming out party, arguably his second best game of the year, second only to the Carolina game. Um, but AJ was spectacular in that game. And uh, for Wake, Alondis Williams, who is the front runner for ACC Player of the Year, he leads the conference in scoring and assists. Alondis Williams had 25 points against Duke, but he only had four assists and he had seven turnovers. Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels did a really nice job marking Alondis Williams. And, and that's going to be a huge factor, I think, in the game, um, uh, you know, when Wake comes to Cameron this week. Donald, catch us up on what Wake has done since Duke faced them last. They've been pretty good. Yeah, they have. Uh, they have gone seven and two since we last played them. Their only losses being to Syracuse and to Miami just the other day, just yesterday. Uh, but they have beat Virginia. They beat Florida State. They beat UNC at home. Uh, so those are pretty big wins for them. And really, when it comes to this, Wake Forest at the time we played them back on January 12th was one of the surprises of the ACC. There, I mean, the, when we look at the ACC preseason standings, Wake was picked to finish 13th. And they were one of the top teams at the time that we played them. We beat them, and they have continued to be one of the better teams in the ACC since then. So uh, one of these games where... Wake Forest knows that they're going to need a signature win. They know they have a shot at getting into the NCAA tournament if they can pluck off a win in Cameron, and they're going to try to go for it. But I will say the one key from last game that you didn't mention, Jason, uh, the turnovers. We took care of the basketball last time we played them. We only had seven turnovers on the game. We forced 15. Lately, we've been averaging a little more than you know 11 or 12. As you mentioned, Jason, that stat you have, the 12 – barrier of turnovers has really factored into a lot of these games recently. I want to see that trend continue to the point where we have taken care of the basketball. We have less than 10 turnovers that we were doing early in the season and we have the ball and we have the control because, you know, I feel like when it comes to that wake forest will play themselves into mistakes and we can capitalize on those mistakes rather than vice versa. Hey, so really quickly, I'm going to give you a couple of the advanced stats on Wake Forest, just so folks know where they stand. They're 39th in Ken Palm. That's pretty impressive. This is a clearly an NCAA tournament team. They, by the way, are one of the very few ACC teams that play with some pace. The ACC has mostly been teams playing very slow tempo this year, not Wake Forest. They're 56th in the country in fastest tempo. Duke, by the way, is in like the 140s. So Wake wants to play faster than Duke usually does. Um, they are very experienced, as we've mentioned before, a lot of juniors and seniors on this team. They are one of the very few teams in the country that matches Duke in height. Duke is a big team. Wake might be even a little bit bigger. They are the 12th tallest team in the country, according to Ken Palm. And let's talk very quickly about what Wake has done that has made them so good this year. They are unbelievable at getting good shots. I just spent our, our BC recap talking about shot selection. Shot selection, there's like almost no one in the country better at shot selection than Wake Forest. They have the third best two-point field goal percentage in the country, 59.4%. This team hits almost 60% of their two-point field goals. They're pretty good at three-point field goal shooting too. 
The only reason their offense isn't like truly elite, like top 10 in the country, is that they commit a lot of turnovers. You guys mentioned that. Almost 20% of their possessions end in a turnover. And they're not very good at offensive rebounding. They're ranked 251st in the country at offensive rebounding. So Duke, we cannot let them get on the boards. On defense, they do a pretty good job of defending the three. Most teams hit around 31% against them. Um, And they do a good job of defending the two. Like teams only hit about 45% of their two-point field goals against Wake Forest, but Wake does not get many steals. They don't get many turnovers. They're like one of the bottom 100 teams in the country at turnover percentage. Um, Duke needs to hang on to the ball. Duke needs to force Wake into turnovers because Wake's going to take good shots. Sam, tell me who's going to be taking those shots for Wake Forest. Yeah, Jason, you mentioned Alondis Williams, who has been really strong for uh, for Wake this, this season. One of the best players in the ACC and a guy who played really well against Duke in the um, in that first meeting. He takes a ton of shots inside. He's a he's a not a huge guy, but he's a he's thicker, sort of like a, a Trevor Keels type. Um, so wing player, but who gets a lot of shots in the paint. Uh, Williams has been has been excellent for Wake Forest this year. The other guy who had a great game against Duke and has also been coming on strong in conference play is Jake LaRavia, uh, who's a bigger guy. Not only does he does he make a lot of shots, he also pulls down a ton of rebounds. This is a guy who um, Duke needs to be keyed in on a little bit more in this game. He's we the matchup with Paulo. He's the guy who's going to be yeah. he and Paulo going to be playing each other. That's a huge exactly. Key. And so right, so he's not the center. He's the he's the power forward. He's the he's the other big. But uh, he does get a lot of rebounds. He's got he's got great uh, advanced metrics on pulling down rebounds at both ends of the court, as well as in his effective field goal percentage. So finds good shots, makes good shots. And like you said, Jason, Wake Forest has has it seems like they've improved uh, this season. They're potentially headed for an NCAA tournament bid. And uh, that that offensive execution is a is a big part of why. So those are the guys who who I would be focusing on this this time around. Uh, the game is in. I know we'll, we we don't need to spend too much time previewing them like we did last time because we have seen them. But this one is in Cameron. Uh, hoping that the crazies show up for it because as we get down the stretch and Jason, I know we want to talk about the ACC race in general down the stretch. Duke has only a couple more games against that, that top tier of the ACC, but they're all very important if Duke wants to take home the regular season crown this year. Yeah. And so I want to talk about why I think that this is arguably like perhaps like the one or two most important game that Duke has left on the schedule. Um, there are currently six ACC teams with 10 or 11 wins. Um, although I, I sort of think it's more illustrative to look at losses. Um, but uh, of, of those six teams with 10 or 11 wins, here are their losses. Duke and Notre Dame are both 11 and three, three losses each. UNC and Miami have four losses each and Wake and Virginia have five losses each. So Wake is two games back in the loss column of Duke and Notre Dame this week. Wake's, Wake's schedule. They play at Duke, and they have a home game with Notre Dame. They, they simply must win both those games to have a shot at the ACC title. And, and Wake is capable, absolutely capable of winning those two games. And, and I'll tell you that I'm really hoping that they, they take it to Notre Dame because Notre Dame's schedule, if we look ahead at the ACC schedule, Duke and Notre Dame are both 11-3. and three. Now, Duke has the tiebreaker because we beat them. But, but Notre Dame has the much easier schedule. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. listen to Notre Dame's schedule coming up. They've got BC, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, and Pitt at home. I mean, other than Syracuse, that's like the three bottom teams in the conference. And Syracuse, frankly, is, you know, right there in the middle. They're, they're not that good a team. Those are, that's their four home games. They ain't losing any of those games. It would be a shock 
if Notre Dame lost to BC, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, or Pitt at home. So their road games, uh, their road games are at Wake and at a reeling Florida State that is really, you know, Florida State's just not playing good ball right now. I think there is a very real chance that that Notre Dame does not lose any more games. So uh, Duke, Duke still has tough games against Wake and Cameron, UNC and Cameron. We've got UVA on the road. We've got Syracuse on the road. I mean, Duke's better than Notre Dame. We have the tiebreaker on Notre Dame. But if you ask me to put a wager right now on who's going to win the ACC, it'd be very tempting to take the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Duke already has a loss to Virginia, and it was in Cameron. So if Duke's going on the road to to Charlottesville, that alone tells you that, that Duke has probably at least one more loss. Uh, left on its schedule. Yeah, I'm I'm very worried, and and this Wake game is, I, I think this is the toughest home game that we've got left, and it might be the toughest game period, because um you know as good as Virginia is, I I I think Wake is is clearly better than Virginia, and and Duke hasn't been so great at home that you're like oh it's a home game we'll take care of it. I that's why I think this Wake game is so crucial, and I think I think Duke needs a confidence boost at home, because we really we just have not played well in Cameron, uh, lately. And, and, and so the ACC race, it, it is super close. There are easily five, maybe even six teams that could win it. And, and Duke needs to take out one of those teams in wake forest on Tuesday. All right, gentlemen, we have to get the player of the week before we are all done. And, you know, Sam and I kind of already spoiled it. I already said, I'm taking Mark Williams. He had 42 points this week on 16 of 19 shooting. 16 of 19 shooting. That is very efficient. He had seven block shots and like a dozen other shots that he altered. He's just such a presence out there. I mean, I, I think Mark Williams was outstanding in every game this week. So that's my pick. Sam, go ahead and, and tell us why you took Trevor Keels. And then we're going to let Donald have the one surprise pick. Right. So I told you I was taking Trevor Keels because of his resurgence yesterday. Um, Yesterday and against Clemson, both games where uh, he showed out both on offense and on defense, he's he's reinserted himself into the rotation in a key way after his injury. And so, it, you know, it's more a, it's more, I guess, a commentary on the effect that he has on the team. Obviously, guys like Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro, you could say, are having, you know, bigger statistical weeks. Uh, but I'm taking Trevor Keels for the impact that he's having on the team after his injury. All right, Donald, you get to either break the tie or make it a three-way tie. What's it going to be? Well, I'm going to break the tie, and I'm going to start with this. There is one player on this team that is fourth in the country, according to Ken Palm, in offense, an offensive rating, which measures your a player's offensive efficiency. This player also shoots 71.6% from the floor, and as, as Jason mentioned, went 16 for 19 this week, eight for eight against Clemson, did all of this, 42 points, 13 rebounds, and seven blocks while not playing more than 21 minutes of the game. I'm going with my man, Mark Williams. I was just going to note that there's a there's something of an irony here where Mark Williams isn't seeing the floor as much, I think, because sometimes he gets himself into, into weird foul situations, and that might actually be... The, well, and Theo, Theo John's playing great. And Theo and, John is playing well, yeah. but I think there mm-hmm. might actually be a blessing here in disguise for Mark Williams where if he's getting fewer minutes but being more productive in those minutes will take them. And Duke is very lucky to have Theo John to, to fill in there. So if Mark Williams and Theo John are like nearly splitting the time at center, that's okay. Jason, before we leave a couple things, one, 
Uh, I wanted to comment on how great the Duke fan presence was. I mentioned this at the top, but how good the Duke fan presence was at, at BC yes. yesterday. Um, it, the, the stadium was not full, which I was surprised by. Uh, whether they would be BC fans showing up or or Duke fans, I was surprised at how many empty seats there were. Not sure how well that came through on the broadcast. Uh, there were points where the BC crowd was loud, but uh, it was it was a student section. There was there was nothing else going on in that arena. It's kind of a, it's kind of a a strange venue Conte forum. If you guys haven't been there before, it's also a hockey arena. um, And it feels like it's been, it was designed really for hockey. Like it's probably awesome in there during hockey games. There are also a lot more hockey banners hanging in the rafters than there are Mm -hmm. basketball banners, (laughs) but, um, but, but it's a cool place. I I encourage folks, you know, if you're in the Northeast and you want to see a cheap Duke game, uh, these happen every two years. So, so that's your shot at that. And then one other thing that I think we failed to mention the whole time, happy birthday, coach K, uh, his last birthday as the, as the Duke head coach. So, uh, there were a lot of, uh, tweets and messages going out today about coach K's birthday. So happy birthday to him, by the way. And, uh, a, a little tip of the cap to BC because, um, like Clemson, they chose to honor coach K, uh, before the game. Um, and they also like Clemson made a donation to the Emily K center, which is a fine, fine way. I think, I think if you ask Coach K, what's the best way? What's the best thing we can do to honor you? He's like, make a donation to the Emily K because it it does such important, wonderful, wonderful work. And uh, you know, obviously, he he helped fund it and named it for his mother. So uh, it's a special, special place to him, I'm sure. And the players didn't have to take it personally. They they just played their basketball game. Yes, it was a good basketball game, but unlike some places we've seen, guys weren't fired up and they didn't have to take it personally. And I think that was good for BC. I mentioned about how Jason Tatum showed up to the game last night. I don't know if they noted on the broadcast the moment when he walked in, but he entered the arena on like, so the, the big part of the Boston college student section is like shares a corner with the corner where the Duke bench is Tatum entered from the other side of the BC student section then walked across the front of the student section to get to the duke bench when he walked in all the bc students were like like there was like this eruption of excitement like oh jason tatum has just walked in you know and he high-fived them as he walked past and then he went and sat right behind the duke bench and was cheering for duke the whole time and it struck (laughs) it was the funniest thing about it was how excited the bc uh students were like there was one that had a sign i'm sure they showed this about uh a sign like like deuce tatum bc class of 2035 or whatever um as if, as if there was, you know, like if, if, if Jason Tatum's kid is at all a good basketball player, something tells me he's going to Duke. So uh, like the but, Boozer twins. Yeah. Carlos yeah, Boozer's exactly. sons are, are going to Duke, but, but <laughs> very cool. Uh, but, but very cool to have him there last night. And then the other guy from the Celtics who I noticed at least was Brad Stevens was sitting in the front row. He's not, he's not the coach anymore. He's now the president of basketball ops. He's, he's front office now, but he was, he was sitting courtside and watching the game. I'm sure he was enjoying it. And uh, I did see afterwards that he had met up with, uh, with some of the Duke coaches before the game. I, I wonder how much ribbing there was about 2010 or if Brad Stevens has moved on. <laughs> it was a while ago. I think Brad Stevens was there look at, to look at like Wendell Moore and Mark Williams, who are guys who could be on the board uh, maybe even Trevor Keels, probably not, but maybe, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and having a look at guys who who he may be pick, picking as as Celtics, you know, down the road um, uh, this summer. Anyway, that's going to do it for us here on episode 390 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. That was Donald. That was Sam. I am Jason. We are always thankful to all of you for listening to us and being a part of this podcast. 
we encourage you like we do every week. Send us email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We especially love, send us your, send us your headlines, you know? What's the headline from the game? We, we read one at the beginning of this, of this broadcast. We will do it all the time when we get them from you guys. It is a ton of fun. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all of you to, you know, for making this possible. We, we just love it. And with that, the Duke Band will play us out and take us home. Good afternoon. We missed you. Hello, hello. Sorry for the delay. We were coming back from the grocery store. Thought I was going to get back sooner, and I didn't. So that's on me. You're forgiven. Did you get your groceries? We got we got our groceries. We got uh, eggs, uh, seltzer, ginger flavored? ale. Wait, flavored uh, seltzer or just regular from- uh, from Costco, you get the the LaCroix mixed pack of lemon, lime, and pomplamoose. Pomplamoose is the best. Pomplamoose <laughs> is the is 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 number one. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, anyway, all right. You guys want to talk about this game I went to yesterday?